Glad they sang it, and you are too, right? Did an amazing job. You know, I love that song, and that song just resonates with many of us for, for this particular reason. We really identify with that, that lyric where it talks about the fear, this fear that many of us have, you know, and so we struggle with this boldness and maybe sharing our, uh, our, our, you know, the love of Christ with people around us and this fear that maybe it's the fear of rejection, and we called it a few weeks ago the fear of man. The fear of rejection, uh, maybe the fear of I'm going to end up saying something dumb or I, don't, I won't know the right things to say. And so then I just end up just being silent when God maybe is nudging me to have some boldness in my life, to, to speak some truth into the life of people around me. And so there are all kinds of fears that we deal with. And, and whenever we talk about this whole idea of actually even sharing our faith with others, for many of us it's a terrifying thing. And it's a terrifying thing to think of actually being used by God. And we ask the question, can God really use somebody like me? Could God use my life to impact other people around me? And, or, and some of you, may, maybe you kind of have come from the, the mindset of, well, that's really more for preachers or that's more for pastors. And you're like, are you telling me, Bart, that God really wants me to speak to other people about what he's doing in my life? And, yep, that is what I'm telling you. And that's what God's word is going to tell you. But, but let me tell you something that I think was going on in Acts chapter 8. I think that the martyrdom and the murder of Stephen... This, this one who was a servant to the church, this one who was one of the first deacons, as well as the persecution of the believers that were in Jerusalem that was happening. And this was happening to God's people, and God was allowing this to happen, okay? He's allowing this to go on. I really believe it was a major wake-up call to the early church. It was a wake-up call to them about what it was going to mean to bear witness for Jesus Christ, and all the times before that Jesus had told them that the world was going to hate them because of him, all the times where Christ had told them that they were going to face difficulty and persecution and hardship, now the reality of it was happening. It was a wake-up call. And recently in preparation for this series, God has just been wrestling, just, I've been wrestling with God about certain things that, that he's just calling me to speak to our church about and really just share things with you that are, you know, these messages on persecution are not easy messages to preach. I just want you to know that. It's not like I'm really, I've been looking forward to preaching messages on persecution. I want you to understand that. And even that, that fear of man in my own life started kicking in at certain points. And I'm going, God, this is hard to preach this right now. These aren't, these aren't messages that make people feel good. It's a reality check. And, and one, one morning this past week, God just kind of gave me this, this word from him. And I want to share it with you. I was, I'd struggled all night on Tuesday night, was not sleeping well. And I was struggling, just trying to get some sleep. And, uh, and God just had put this upon my heart. There were all, it's like, you know, all of these alarms that are going off in our society right now, in our culture. All you have to do, church, is just kind of look around and you see a lot, of, a lot of things that are happening right in front of our eyes that maybe many of us never thought we would see happening in our country. And it's happening so quickly. The secularization of our, of our culture, what's being called post-Christian America now, the, the dramatic mindset and the shift in, in the way people think about, uh, about the family and what marriage is and what constitutes a marriage and just how fast that has happened and has changed in our culture. The detachment of the majority of the millennial generation, how that generation, many of them, most of them, a majority of them are unchurched. 
and, and how that is happening right before our very eyes. And, and many of them don't want to have anything to do with the church at all. And, you know, things are shifting. There are these alarms that are going off. And so I was lying in bed this uh, past Tuesday morning, and I was trying to get a few extra minutes of sleep because it had been a rough night for me. And, uh, and I was thinking about a lot of things. I was struggling with some things, and I felt like God was, truthfully, I felt like God was saying to me, Bart, I, I've, I'm calling you, and I want you to be used by me to get my people ready, to get them ready for things they're going to be encountering, for that they're going to be going through that's going to be, and I was, I was wrestling with that that morning. And, and, and so my daughter's alarm clock, Trinity, has this alarm clock that is so obnoxious. And it's just, and she's on the opposite side of the house, okay? And I have no idea how this child does not wake up when this alarm is going off. Does anybody else out there do that, that the alarm's going off and you're sleeping right through the alarm, okay? In the last service, a bunch of hands went up and I said, y'all were weird, okay? And, and they sleep right, she sleeps right through the alarm and it, and it, it just it bugs me so much every morning. And finally, but I don't get up, I usually just go, Trinity, wake up! And that morning I was laying in bed and her alarm's going off and I'm thinking about all the things that are going on and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me just saying, Bart, that is, that's like exactly the things that are going on in the church and in America right now is that all of these alarms are blaring all over the place and I, I have no idea how the church is not waking up. You know when she wakes up? She wakes up whenever she hears my voice. Her father's voice. She wakes up when she hears daddy's voice. Now, it's an annoyed voice, I assure you, okay? But when she hears my voice, she gets up. She gets up at that point, and I thought, why do we want to stay a few more minutes? You know, a lot of times we just hit snooze. We need a couple more minutes. Like, that's really going to make a big difference, right? Some of you are like, it does, all right? But, but what we're often wanting to do is we just don't want to quite face reality yet, we don't want to wake up yet and face the, the day or face reality. And I just felt like, I felt like that morning God was saying, Bart, this is what's happening in the church across America. Is I've been showing them all of these alarms that are going off. And I feel like God is saying to the American church, we must wake up from our slumber. We must wake up. And recognize that God is doing some things. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. God is going to allow some things to happen that are going to be very uncomfortable for us as Christians. That are going to start provoking and prodding us out of our comfortable places. To start actually trying to really figure out what we really do believe. And if we really do believe. And if we are really going to stand by what we say we believe. And not just go along with cultural Christianity. But actually begin living our faith out. Sharing our faith with people around us. And waking up. Waking up. This is what I feel like God is saying to us. I believe he's been calling us to wake up from our slumber. And, and here is the thing. It's not politicians. I've said this several weeks, and I want to say it again. It's not going to be politicians. It's not going to be Republicans or Democrats or, or, or a certain individual that's a politician that is going to bring about any kind of cultural change. Can I tell you the only thing that truly changes people's lives for all eternity is the gospel of Jesus. That is it. The gospel of Jesus is what transforms lives. It transforms us. And that's what people need more than anything. 
It's not some, some rescue from a politician. What they need is they need the gospel. People need to experience the love and the grace of Jesus in their life and how much he loves them and, and has a plan for them. Look at what, what Peter says about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. And what is that promise? That promise is that he's returning for his church. He is going to return. He has told us that he will. We think it's taken forever, but it says a, a, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, okay? He's not being slow about this. No, but here is why he is delaying, and I want you to see the, just the graciousness in God here. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent, He wants everyone to have the the chance to know the grace of Jesus and to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief is what it says. And so there's an urgency attached to this. It's clear that God desires for all people to experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness that he offers them. And, and, And here is what I think needs to happen oftentimes or what happens in our lives. We will think as believers We'll think, well, I'm all for people coming to know Christ as their Savior. That's wonderful, Bart. Man, keep preaching the gospel. And we're, But here is what I think. We oftentimes think that that's somebody else's responsibility. We often say that that's only for a certain group of people or that certain pastors or whatever. And, you know, or, or oftentimes we think God could never use someone like me. God could never use me. Maybe my past is too shady or maybe I've, I've, I'm struggling right now as it is and so I've got to get my life completely all together before I could ever be a witness for him in any kind of way. And, and that's just not true either. But here is the thing. Maybe sometimes we also think that God could never change certain groups of people. And we, we kind of write them off and we think that, that God could never change this segment of the population where we live or, or, you know, there's nothing that could change that particular person or there's nothing that could, you know, change the heart of that group of people as if they're unreachable or unchangeable by the grace of God's love or God's grace doesn't go far enough for them. And Acts chapter 8 and, and, and chapter 9 is going to teach us something powerful, church, if we will listen. If we will receive it from him, he is going to teach us this, that that there is no one beyond the reach and grace of God. There is nobody that's beyond God's reach. Nobody beyond the long arm of salvation of the Lord there and the grace of God. And we'll see that in these next two weeks as God just, just changes and transforms the lives of people that many thought would never be changed by God. And that includes the people that he has put in your life. You have a sphere of influence. There's no barrier too great that God cannot overcome it in that person's life. There's no culture barrier that's too great. No sin barrier that's too great. There's no person with a past that's too too sinful or dark. There is no one beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We have to believe that as a church. In Acts 8, what we see is that God cares about people groups. We saw that, that, that they went and they, they, uh, and they preached the good news to the Samaritans, okay? That was a particular people group that had a cultural barrier between these Jewish believers now, okay? And what we're also going to discover in chapter 8 is that God also loves the individual. And God has divine appointments with individuals, I'm going to show you that, okay, in just a moment. 
That's what we find. What we find in Acts 8 is the church is now dealing with the tragic death of one of their beloved. They're dealing with the tragic death of, of one of their own who has been murdered for preaching Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine what that would be like in our church, okay? If one of you, because you were proclaiming Christ and they, they took you and they killed you, I want you to think, church, how we would all feel about that. And the church is, is grappling with that. They're dealing with that. In chapter 8, it says that Saul, this man named Saul who was this hyper-religious man, was going about and it says he was destroying the church. That literally means this. He was ravaging the church. It's, it's, it's a word used to describe, it's a violent word. Tearing the church apart as if he was tearing flesh from the bones. It says he was indiscriminate in his persecution. He's dragging both men and women out and seeing to it that they were being persecuted and put to death. The, the word literally means running through a vineyard like a wild boar. That's what he's doing. And what we find is Philip has been now moved out of Jerusalem, out of his comfortable place. Again, I don't know how comfortable that was, but maybe they were just, it's more, it's a scary thing to go out into an area that you don't know well. And he's grappling with the loss of his beloved friend, Stephen. And they served together. They were fellow believers. They served together, and he's dealing with that hurt and that loss and that pain and all of the fear of, am I next? Is this going to happen to me next? And he doesn't get angry at God. He doesn't get angry at God about the, the persecution that believers are dealing with. He doesn't get angry, but instead he decides to be obedient and to go and to share the gospel with people who are around him. And he preaches the gospel to a group of people that he as a Jew was in cultural opposition towards. And that was the Samaritans. I mean, they were, the, the Jews and Samaritans had been bitter towards one another for hundreds of years now. There was a deep, bitter divide and a barrier between them. But Jesus said, I want you to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem as you're going. I want you to be witnesses in Judea as you're going. I want you to be witnesses in Samaria. And I imagine when he said Samaria, those Jews were like, oh boy, are you serious? I can't stand those people. And the uttermost parts of the world. And it says that he went and he did that and he was being obedient to Christ and, he, and he's stepping out in faith and he's boldly sharing the gospel with these people. And, and the scripture said the crowds in, listened intently to him because they were eager to hear his message. You get the sense in this passage that there was a great revival that was happening among them and that miracles were happening because of what God was doing in the life and the obedience and the boldness of this man, Philip, who was sharing the gospel you know, he was sharing the gospel with a group of people that most of these Jewish believers most likely thought would never receive Jesus Christ, who was a Jew. Don't forget that, right? So what do we learn from this lesson? We learn that God loves everyone, even people that we often don't like. God loves them. God loves everyone. Even people that we struggle with and we have cultural differences with and we, we, don't, we dislike them or, or culturally we don't mesh up and so we write them off. But what this shows us is that God loves them as much as he loves you. And he wants them to know his love and grace as much as he wanted you to know this. And even Peter and John started getting in on sharing the gospel with the Samaritans. In verse 25, it says, After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, 
Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and I want you to look, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way, and what does it say that they did? They preached the good news. Now, why is this significant, okay? This is very significant because, again, if you remember a few weeks ago, I shared with you in in the gospel about John was one of these, along with his brother James, called the Sons of Thunder, right? And they were in a Samaritan village with Jesus. The Samaritans rejected Jesus. And what did John do? He said, hey, you want me to call down some hellfire on these Samaritans right now? Because I will burn them up. You know, what do you you want? You know, Jesus, I'll do it for you. And so he's like, man, I'm ready. Let's just wipe them out. Now, and do you remember what Jesus did? He rebuked him. And he said, no. He said, that's not what I'm here for. Your heart's wrong. And now he's there and he's preaching the gospel to these people. And they're coming to faith in Christ. It's a miracle that is happening that the Jews now are, are, are preaching to these Samaritans. And the Samaritans are receiving what is happening. This is a miracle of God's grace that is going on. And the thing that was bringing them together is Jesus and his love. And it's bringing them together. And what we see is that God loves all kinds of groups of people. He loves groups of people all over the world. And what we're going to see next in this chapter is his heart is not only for the masses, because sometimes we think that God just loves only groups of people, but I want you to see something. God knows every person, and his heart is for the individual. And he loves individuals. Check this out in in Acts 8, 26. All right, so as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. Now watch the sovereignty of God at work right here. I love this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, would you read it with me? What does it say? Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So he began tying this together for this man. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I love that, right? Let's do this. Let's do this baptism thing. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's so powerful to see the sovereign hand of God at work in drawing people to himself. So here's Philip. He's told by and led by God to go 35 miles out into the desert, okay, on this desert road into the middle of nowhere, in essence. And as he's walking down the road, he looks and he sees this royal carriage or this chariot, okay, now, Philip was just, he was just a waiter. He was, you know, he was a servant. He wasn't anybody that was special, but he was just this, this servant of the Lord and uh, probably was very poor. And he looks over and sees this man sitting in this carriage who has all of these people around him. Now, 
Just knowing my personality, I probably would have been a little intimidated by that and probably been like, I'm going to go along my own way, you know? That's a little intimidating. I don't know if I go over there, what's going to happen? This VIP is sitting up in the chariot, and the, and the voice of the Lord says, I want you to go over there, and I want you to talk to that guy. Go over by the chariot, and, and, and so he listens to him. He surrendered to the Lord. Okay, Lord, you use me. So that's what he does. I love it where it says he ran over to the chariot. So I envisioned Philip, and he's just jogging along, and he comes up alongside the chariot, and he's like, hey, what's up? You know, he's running out in the desert here, okay? And I imagine the, 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 the Ethiopian man is sitting there with his scroll that he is reading Isaiah, and he sees this guy jogging, right, and probably does a double take, you know, like, wait, and Philip's like, hey, I see you're reading Isaiah. Do you understand that? No, not really. You know, why don't you come up here? Do you understand it? It just so just so happens that Philip was in the on the same desert road as this Ethiopian man, right? All right? You see God's sovereign hand at work right here. And 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 don't you love how God is always doing the work before we even get there? Okay, God is working in people's lives before we even get on the scene. God is sovereignly working in people all around them, cultivating their hearts, tilling up the soil of their hearts, and drawing people to himself. And here's what we learn in this, is that God uses his believers, and he presents opportunities before us to engage in divine appointments. To engage whenever he leads us to be his voice, to be his witnesses. And I said this in my prayer earlier, not his prosecuting attorney. And that's the way that sometimes we come across. He's more prosecutor than witness. Not even his defense attorney. God doesn't need us to be his defense attorney. He's got it. He just has called us to be his witness. What is a witness? A witness is someone that testifies about what God has done, what he has seen God do in his life, what God has done in our lives and the experience. God hasn't called you to be his salesman either. You don't have to sell sell God to people. God has just called you to speak of what God has done in your life. And so here's what we see right here. God uses us in his divine appointments with people. And I had one of these a few years ago. It was right after we started the church. This was an amazing thing. We'd gone on a mission trip to uh, Cambodia. Our church from early on started out, you know, being on mission with God, going not only here but all over the world. And I was on a mission trip with a team from our church. uh, And uh, I had to come back a little bit early, okay, because I had to preach at this church called Eagles View because we didn't have anybody else to preach at that time. So I was coming back a day early, and uh, the rest of the team was still back in Cambodia, and we were engaged with a people group there, the Vietnamese of Cambodia, who were the houseboat people there. And uh, we were working with them. We were doing work in the orphanage there, as sharing the gospel, working with church planners, and doing some stuff like that. And so I'm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, on a layover, okay? And, and my, my layover is going to be, and I'm under this time crunch to get back in time for church. And there's this time crunch that's going on here, all right? And they tell us that we're going we're gonna to be delayed for six hours because we're having mechanical problems with our next flight. And I'm like, take all the time you need, all right? And so, but I'm a little frustrated. I'm all the way on the other side of the world needing to get back. I've never been by myself all the way on the other side of the world. That was freaky, okay? And I'm like, man, I don't know anybody here. Nobody knows me here. And I'm walking around in this airport in Kuala Lumpur, and all of these Asians are there, and many of them are Muslims. And I'm, I'm frustrated at this point, and then I hear this voice and I hear this, 
do you like rock and roll? And I'm like, God does have a British accent. This is amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I hear, do you like rock and roll? And I'm like, where is this coming from? And I look over, and there's this big, tall, white guy, this Englishman that's over there, and he's asking me if I like rock and roll. And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know? And so we strike up this conversation in the middle of the airport, and there are all these Asians that are walking around us, okay? And we're sitting there, and we're talking, and he's like, what are you doing all the way over here? What are you doing? I wouldn't think I would see anybody, you know, uh, over here. What are you doing over here? And I'm, I told him, I told him I was a pastor of a church and that we we're here and we we're, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people in Cambodia and we're loving on people and meeting physical needs and, you know, and trying to share God's good news with people there. He was so intrigued by that. And he was asking me all these questions, you know, and just asking me all this. And, and we're just standing there still and have been there for a while. And he says, I say to him, I said, now, what are you doing over here? And just the whole look on his face has changed. And he just said, he said, well, he said, I come over here oftentimes because of back during the, the Vietnam War era there, I did a lot of horrific things. And he said, I come over here from time to time just trying to, trying to set the record straight and try to do things right for people. And, 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 you know, and, and he starts talking about how God could never forgive him. God could never love him. Because of the things that he's done in his past. And I just felt this nudging from the Holy Spirit just to begin to share with him the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I, I stood there in that airport in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, with all these Asians walking around, and I was obedient to the Lord at that. Now I want you to know I was afraid. I was afraid. We were, we were in the midst of a lot of Muslims there. I was afraid, you know, because I, I mean, at that point, I very easily could have just been like, well, man. That's good stuff. Good, good luck to you, you know, have a nice life or whatever. But I felt the Lord saying, tell him about my grace. So I shared that with him. And this Englishman, this tall Englishman, starts having tears that are rolling down his face. And I tell him that the Lord loves him and that there's no sin that's too great in his life. And that, and that I believe that God had brought us together specifically today so he could hear about the grace of Jesus Christ. And that Englishman that day with tears streaming down his face just called upon the Lord to save him. And that was just one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And I don't know, his, uh, uh, Peter Gardner was his name. I don't know if I'll ever see Peter Gardner again ever in this lifetime. But I know this, that one day whenever I see him walking on the streets of, of gold in heaven one day, I'm going to yell out, do you like rock and roll? You know? And this, it was just a, it was a divine appointment. A divine appointment where the Lord nudged me. But at that moment, I was like, I don't know. Okay. And so I shared the grace with, with Peter Gardner that day. We've written to one another a few times off and on. You know, God has people like that that he places in our lives. He uses divine appointments in our lives. I fully believe that God wants to do that in your life. He's drawing people to himself all the time. And he wants his believers to stop being silent about him. And you don't have to be the prosecutor. That's not your role. It's just being the witness. And it's sharing the good news about what he's done in your life. Now, let me wrap this up, okay? God was working in the heart of this Ethiopian man long before uh, Philip ever got there. This Ethiopian man was a great influencer of people back in Ethiopia. And, but here's, here, why was he on this road back from Jerusalem? He was there to worship. He was a seeker. 
He was trying to find out more about Judaism and, and possibly convert to Judaism. And so I don't have time to go into this, but he was an outsider at the temple. When he got to the temple, you need to know he was an outsider on the outside looking in for a few different reasons. One, because he was a Gentile, he couldn't go into the inner courts. Secondly, he was a eunuch, which is basically a castrated male. And the the Mosaic law, according to this, meant that this man had to stand outside the gate. He was an outcast when it comes to this kind of religious stuff here. So Philip is going to be used by God to change this man's life by bringing him good news. And the good news was about Jesus. Can you just see the excitement in Philip's face whenever he starts talking about the Lamb of God? And he's like, oh, God is at work right here. Let me tell you about the Lamb of God. His name is Jesus. You know how you've been on the outside looking in all of these years and you're trying to have a relationship with God and they they won't let you inside? Here's the thing, man. I want you to see this. I want you to understand that because of Jesus, you know that veil that separates us from God? When Jesus said it was finished, his blood, the Lamb of God, the one that you're reading about, it paid for all of that sin. And now that veil is torn in two. And now what he's saying to him is there are no outsiders with God. Because of Jesus. And so you and I can come into the presence of the Lord. There are no outcasts with Jesus is what we learn. Let's fast forward that today. Say, well, there are no Samaritans today, Bart, right? I mean, we don't really, I don't have Samaritans in my life, so to speak. So how does this, how does this work in my life? And I've been working through this bold series, particularly this passage. Here's a question that I want you to grapple with because this is what God has been dealing with me about. Ready for it? Here it is. Who is your Samaritan? Who's your Samaritan? Remember, the Samaritans were the ones that they they were at odds with, the ones that culturally they were different. Who's the person or the people group that we in our pride or in our ignorance or our preconceived ideas or our history of bitterness towards certain people, who is it that maybe we think God could never reach them? God could never change them. Who is it in in our life? For some of us, maybe for you, it might be a person who who doesn't believe or is an atheist. And and, and maybe they even kind of heckle you a little bit because you're a person that has faith or whatever. And so instead of feeling compassion and love for them, instead you feel angry about it. And you're like, God will never save them or whatever. Maybe it's not that. Maybe for you it's someone of a different political, you know, uh, belief of yours. Or maybe it's, maybe it's Muslims, you know. God can never change their hearts. You know, he can never change them and, and where they understand the grace of Jesus. But I want you to know, if God could change the life of a man named Saul, who was nothing more but a religious spiritual terrorist that we'll read about next week, God can change anybody. What he took with Saul was he turned him into Paul and turned him into one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived. Maybe it's not a group of people there, or maybe it's a generation. Maybe it's maybe it's millennials, you know, who are the unchurched ones now, and you're older, and you don't really have any kind of connection with them, and they annoy you or whatever because you don't understand or think the way that they think. Maybe you're a millennial and you don't, you don't like the way that the older generation thinks, you know, because they can't seem to get it together with all this newfangled technology, right, okay? And so you're annoyed with them. But what if God's calling you to reach out and minister to these different people groups because these barriers come down with Jesus? He's calling you to do this. 
Or maybe it's the homosexual community that is your Samaria. And rather than being angry and wanting to call down fire from heaven because of, of the different belief and the anger that comes with what's happening with all of that, maybe it's that God is just gripping your heart to share the truth with them. Not yielding, but sharing the truth in love. Maybe you're a southerner and you'd say it's Yankees. <laughs> Maybe you're a Yankee and you'd say it's rednecks. <laughs> Maybe it's not a subculture. Maybe it's an individual for you. Maybe it's a coworker that's in an adulterous relationship. And their life's falling apart. Maybe it's a classmate, maybe it's an angry neighbor who does malicious things to you or the guy that dresses in black with all the piercings and tattoos that you're intimidated by. Maybe you're the guy, and this is EVC I'm talking to, you're the guy with the piercings and tattoos and it's the nerdy guy for you, okay, all right? That God's calling you to share the gospel with him. Do you see, God brings barriers down. He brings barriers down because of the love of Christ. Maybe it's your kid's who grew up in a Christian home and they're grown and they still do not profess faith in Christ. Maybe it's an unbelieving parent. Who is your Samaritan? I want to just invite you to prayer with me. Sometimes I think we hear stories in the book of Acts and we think, oh Lord, if you just move like that today, I wish that still were for us today. And I think what the Lord is doing is he's sounding the alarms and he's saying, it is for today. And I want to do this in your life because I am the same God today that has the same passion for people today that I did 2,000 years ago. Some of you have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. And it's not my place to convince you. It's just my place to bear witness about the fact that he loves you. And if you have never trusted him, perhaps today is your divine appointment with Jesus. If you'll believe in him and receive him, he will save you by his grace. Maybe you just would pray to him right now and just say, Lord, I don't even understand it all. Most of it doesn't even make sense, but I just sense you drawing me to yourself. And Lord Jesus, I believe. Will you save me? Maybe you are a believer and the Lord's speaking to you about your Samaritans. Would you just pray for them right now? Pray for your own heart to be filled with love and compassion for people. Would you ask God to make you attentive to what he is doing around you? Maybe we need to put our phones down and stop looking at them so much and start looking at people. To notice the divine appointments. Father, would you just make us sensitive to your spirit as Philip was. You, you told him to go, and he did. He went to places that were uncomfortable. He spoke to people that were not like him. And you put the words in his mouth. He was just your obedient servant. So, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you. We don't want to just sing songs about surrender. Lord, we want to truly be surrendered. Make us a church that is a loving group of people. I'm just reminded of your word that says it is your kindness 
that leads us to repentance. So, Father, we yield to you. We ask for, for souls to be saved in Eagles View Church. We ask to see more baptisms happen that bear witness of lives being changed. And I ask you to use your people to facilitate that. May we wake up from our slumber. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.